We have our first sponsor. If you guys have been watching our Instagram account, you've probably seen it. One of the coolest things that Precision Camera offers is what's called a virtual showroom. What you can do is log into their website at precision-camera.com. And right on the first page there, you'll see a link to the virtual showroom. You can go in there and schedule an appointment. And what you'll do is a video conference with a salesperson on the floor. And these people deal with all levels, all camera brands, all the time. And you're going to be able to tell them your level of experience or the person that you're buying for. And you'll be able to tell them your budget. And based off of that, you'll be able to narrow in on what is the best camera for what you have going on. If you don't have time for a video chat, there is also a text chat option. If you have a quick question about a product, you can type in your question and somebody will get back to you very quickly. If you decide to do that and you decide to buy a camera, we got a good deal for you. With their sponsorship of the show, they've also given us a coupon code. If you go in, set up your account, create your purchase, get to the checkout screen, you'll get a little field on the checkout sheet that asks for a coupon code. And what you want to put in is wild and exposed. And what that gets you is $50 off of a $500 or more dollar purchase. We're super excited to have Precision Camera as a sponsor. Now on with the show. Welcome to Wild and Exposed. Your number one adventure, nature, and outdoor photography podcast. Wild and Exposed is hosted by Mike Morrow, Ron Hayes, Jason Loftus, and Mark Raycroft. Thanks for tuning in. Welcome to another episode of Wild and Exposed. We've got a Western Rockies episode today. We are joined by, well, Jason Loftus and myself, Ron Hayes. And tonight we're joined by Wyoming photographer Steve Mathis, who finds his home over on the west side of the state. I'll let him describe that. But welcome to the podcast, Steve. Thanks for joining us. Yeah, thanks, guys. I'm psyched to be here. So for those of you that don't know, Steve is the great gray owl whisperer and, uh, well, the great ghost whisperer, whatever you want to call it. He has got some incredible images of those owls over in that area, and, and not not in one particular area, but all over the Grand Teton and Yellowstone National Park ecosystems, the greater Yellowstone ecosystem, I guess I should say. Steve, so we're going to make a quick introduction, and this is one of those questions that I told you we weren't going to tell you we were going to ask. <laughs> but, okay. <laughs> <laughs> right out of the gate... What is your favorite ever outdoor experience? Doesn't have to be photographic, just outdoor. Oh boy. Um that I think I have to I have to go to experience number 2 because number 1 is, you know, kind of naughty if you know what I'm saying. <laughs> <laughs> Well, this is wild and exposed. That's what you get for putting, you know, putting me on the spot like that. You know, I like it. I think he just got us back, Ron. I think he did. (laughs) Yeah. Well, yeah. And so I will go. I'll go straight to you know. You mentioned great gray owls, and that's a really hard question to answer on the spot. um, Which is, I'm sure, why you guys do it because so much uh, amazing stuff is happening out there all the time, and you know, doing what I do and what you guys do, we put ourselves in a position to see a lot of really cool stuff and experience neat things. So 
That's a that's a tough question. I'd have to sift through the memory banks. But you mentioned great gray owls right out of the gate there, and they're my favorite photography subject. And uh, one particular experience with with the owls stands out to me as my favorite experience. Um, and it happened to include some of my favorite photos as well. But and you know the short version of the story. I could go on and on for an hour about it. But uh, I won't. Um, but the short version was it was an experience I had with a pair of courting owls that um, I was working on my great gray owl book for years. And uh, I kept postponing wanting to get it put together and finished and published because I didn't have a photo of great gray owls copulating. And I for whatever reason, I felt like I needed to have a photo of that you know, just for the natural history of the, uh, of the birds. And, um, so I really, I just decided to dedicate an entire spring season just to getting one photo of great gray owls copulating. And so, uh, I got to know this pair really well and I got to know, uh, kind of their, their courtship routines and some of the, the cool behaviors that they were doing. And, it was just over and over and over. I'd go out there every morning and every evening and spend time with them and just try and be in the right place over and over. And then uh, one night I was I was out there in the afternoon and I found one of the owls and uh, just kind of spent spent time just sitting there waiting. And, and then the the male, it turned out the male flew in eventually and they did some courtship stuff. Um, typically the male flies in with and presents the female with a beheaded gopher, um, which then she, she swallows whole. And then, you know, there's oh. some, yeah, I don't know why they bite the head off, but it's very romantic. Yeah. It's kind of yeah. hot, you know, <laughs> but, uh, she, uh, once she starts accepting these as, um, I think he's proving that he's a good provider and that he can hunt for her and stuff. And, I'd, I'd watched this happen a dozen times or more over the previous couple of weeks, and I just kept kept at it, kept at it, wondering when is they going to copulate, or am I missing it? Or is it happening only in the middle of the night? Or you know, all those thoughts of doubt start running through your head. But I watched him present this gopher to her, and the light was fading, and she was sitting on this magnificent perch where I was just like, "Oh, please, please let it happen right here on this perch." The background was great; everything was so nice. And he presented it to her and then he flew off just like every other time. And I was like, ah, oh, man, I guess I got to go. You know, it was getting late and I probably only had 10 minutes of shootable light left. And uh, I packed, I, you know, I got my tripod. I had the 600 F4 on there and threw the tripod over my shoulder. And I just walked about maybe 10 yards away. And I just glanced back at her and she was looking straight at me. And I was like, ah. I'll just hang into your, in here just a few more minutes. So I set the tripod right down where I was. So it was a little different angle than it was before and set back up. And then, I don't know, 60 seconds later, I heard a, that low booming great gray owl, you know, call from the forest. And I thought, oh, maybe he's going to come back in. And sure enough, I could see him flying through the forest and he came around behind her. She's looking straight at me. And that owl flew in the male and landed on her back and copulated, you know, wings flailing. She's looking straight at me, beautiful background, beautiful perch, not any piece of twig or clutter or anything in the way, nothing in the background. It was like 
perfect magic. And he, you know, his beak was all bloody from the, the head. He just bit off the gopher and, you know, it lasted just a few seconds. And then he flew off into the woods and, uh, you know, that was just everything that could have possibly gone right went right. And, uh, you know, I could have, I would have been thrilled with just any picture of great grails copulating, <laughs> but to get just, I, I just couldn't have planned it out better. And then everything was perfect. Um, and that was just one of those magical moments where put in the time, put in the time, you, you know, you visualize what you want and then bang, one day it happened. And it was like, just such a relief. So I could finish the book first of all, but, uh, yeah. just, yeah. And I, that was just one of those experiences that, uh, I, I've seen him copulate since then a few times, but never in anything clear sighted, never in anything remotely good for photography. So it, you know, it was just one of those times where something, everything just aligned and the universe gave it to me that day. So I was, yeah, that was, that's the first thing that comes to mind on that question for sure so for the listening audience and those that may not know what is copulating well that's the uh, <laughs> great gray owl version of what i was trying to tell you the first <laughs> story <about>. the other <laughs> best story yeah exactly that's excellent no um for those that don't know you can look it up yeah <laughs> well they have in weird... steve's book <laughs> yeah, there yeah. You go. Yeah, I don't even know. Great gray owls, I think most birds have um, non-typical genitalia, I guess. Right. And uh, I don't even know how you pronounce that. Cloaca or something? Cloaca. Yeah. You guys know I think, that? I think that's right, yeah. 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 So they just kind of bump those together when he climbs on her back there. Um, but it was just amazing to watch, you know, his talons in, in her back and the wings flailing and he's biting her in the eye and stuff. It was It was so incredible. That's a what, that's a neat story. Go for yeah. beheader. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And to get that on a, well, first of all, to see it. Period. Again, you know, like you re or like you said, the the time that it takes to catch those kind of behaviors, but then secondly, to catch it on a, you know, a, a nice perch, with a clean background, and I'm guessing if it was toward the end of the day, you had decent light, or was the light gone, and you were you were just shooting low light. It was kind of right in that perfect zone where at the time I was on a Nikon D4S, so really good low light capability on that camera. Um, light, the sun had gone down, so everything in the forest, you know how it just gets that nice soft, um, just, and the background was perfect, just dark conifer. Mm -hmm. um, so everything just, just was perfect and you know another 10 minutes later and i would have been maybe up at iso 12,000 or something which still would have been fine mm -hmm. but i think I, I i think i was at iso 3200 and on that camera it's a piece of cake so it worked mm -hmm. out great that's incredible <laughs> so steve, yeah tell I get, us, it's just oh sorry just good, go ahead Jason. no you're good just good clean living right steve that's what universe handed that one to you I guess so. <laughs> <laughs> no, I mean, real quick, just because we've talked about this on the show many times and just that dedication you put into that, getting that one shot, right? I mean, that's, you had a purpose behind it, right? It's not, it wasn't just for your own, your own self-satisfaction. I'm sure that was part of it. But, you know, with the goal of trying to get that to complete your book, but then to put in that time, and I don't know, do you have an idea of how many total 
mornings and evenings or days total that you kind of spent out there that spring trying to capture that image? Uh, you know, just that spring, I, I was probably out there every day for three weeks, twice a day, which, you know, in the grand scheme of things, isn't that much. But when you think about, I'd, I'd been trying to get that photo for years, you know, not to that level of, I'm just going out every day just to do this. But, uh, I'd been trying for years to yeah. not only see that, but to photograph it. But, uh, yeah. And I generally don't work that way. To be honest, I generally kind of go out there with a and try and have an open mind to, you know, whatever is happening out here today, I'm going to try and make the most of it uh, and not really narrow down my focus too much to the exclusion of other things. But this was one of those few times where I I just excluded everything. I was like, I'm going to miss grizzly bear cubs. I'm going to miss whatever I need to miss in order to get this photo. <laughs> yeah. And uh, luckily it worked out because sometimes you can go through all that and it still doesn't even work out. Sure. When sure. you have a passion project like that, though, it it's a little bit easier to give up some of those other things just to bring that to conclusion. And it's easier to say when it works out. Um, Definitely. You know, nine years of over on this side of the state trying to get Swift Fox feeding the kids. And then all of a sudden it happened and it happened like all night. They were bringing prairie dogs in, brought a bull snake, um, a bird. And it just happens all the time now. And I guess once you once you pop the cork on that behavior, I guess it's easier to see. Yeah. And you're not stressed about it. But yeah, that's awesome. So tell us a little bit about your background. How how did you get into wildlife photography? I mean, you grew up in or you live in a good area, fantastic area, the best part of the state. But yeah, what, um, what put a camera in your hand and when? Well, it's uh, I don't really have a magic moment. Um I kind of do, but I, so I was born and raised here in Jackson, um, and lived here most of my adult life. And, uh, the, I've, I've always kind of as a kid and as a young adult, I always just ran around with a camera, you know, a little, even just one of those little, um, like Kodak disposable film cameras that they used to make. And, and then when the first like little, um, point and shoot digital cameras came out. I always ran around with one of those. And, um, I I don't know, I just enjoyed taking pictures, but I never, I never studied photography or took the time to even understand what shutter speed and aperture or anything did. You know, I just would point the camera at something and push the button and either think, Oh, that turned out nice or no, that didn't turn out good and move on to the next one kind of a thing. So I don't really, you know, I put together some photo books from some like vacations we'd gone on and stuff like that. But I never really had any true interest in photography until uh, my wife at the time when she got pregnant. I was like, God, I need to learn how to use a camera better so I can take pictures <laughs> of my kids. And uh, so at that point, I went and bought like uh, at the time it was, you know, a, a reasonably entry level kit. It was a I don't remember. It was one of the Nikon entry-level things with a kit lens, and um, I just decided I was going to take some uh, 
grab a couple of books off of Amazon, beginning photography books, and take some time to read those and just try and understand photography a little bit better with this. Just the, I just wanted to take pictures of my kids um, and not had no intention of, you know, this becoming my life or um, anything. It just, it started real innocently, but, you know, and then when you, when you grab a photography book, the first thing you realize is there's a lot more to this than just pointing it at something and pushing the button. <laughs> and uh, so I needed to practice. And so I would practice, you know, taking pictures of my dogs and just stuff around the yard. And uh, that ran its course pretty quickly. So, you know, here I am in Jackson, Wyoming, and like, oh, I need to practice. What can I go photograph today? Well, there are those moose running around out there. I saw those when I was driving to work the other day. I'll go take some pictures of them. Whatever kind of you want. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And so literally that's that's kind of the um, how it started where I, I needed something to photograph just to practice and get better. And uh, of course, then I started going out and spending time out in the in nature and with wildlife and kind of reacquainting myself with you know, this valley and the national park is, you know, when you grow up here, it's, it's different. You know, we all grew up here and this is our norm. This is our baseline. And we think every place is like this. And we think, uh, you know, like, uh, I remember in high school, we were all like, Jackson sucks. I can't wait to get out of here. <laughs> and, you know, it's, it's just one of those things you take it for granted. It's just, it's there. Uh, and and I took all that stuff for granted. You know, I'd see a grizzly bear run across the road and I'd just drive right by and be like, yep, there's another bear and, you know, go about my day. And so, you know, once I started getting back out there and practicing with the camera, it's really the, I think the most amazing thing happened in that I started to reconnect with nature and with this valley in particular. And I really started to experience it almost like uh, somebody who's just coming here that's never been here before. And, you know, I see people look on people's face when they, you know, their first trip to the Tetons and they're like, oh my God, this place is amazing. And I never felt like that until I started photographing. Mm -hmm. It just totally changed my perception of this, you know, home, this place where I lived that I'd taken for granted for so long. So, um, it, it really just, uh, it just kind of took hold there and became just something I wanted to experience every day. And, uh, at the time I was, I owned a bar and restaurant and my schedule was such that I didn't have to be in to the office till like 1030. So I could go out like every morning for sunrise and shoot for a couple hours and then be into work. Um, and so it just became a normal routine to get away from the chaos of bar and restaurant life and getting out and being alone in nature and, you know, watching some wildlife do some cool stuff and making some nice photos. And so it uh, just it, it just became one of those things where every single day I would find a way to practice, you know, <laughs> get out there Absolutely. and have a good time. Yeah. And, and we're you know, Jason's in Utah. We're all fortunate to be in the West, but I can't imagine being in Jackson Hole. I mean, even if you went to work at eight o'clock in the morning, you get out and have a pretty good shoot in the middle of the summertime when the sun's coming up earlier and 
be back to town in time to in time to kick it off. No doubt, and a lot of the local photographers do that. Mm-hmm. You know, they all, all these people have such different, diverse jobs, and um, it is it's just so convenient. You can get up early and you know be in the field at five and back to town by seven. You know, he'd be like, oh, I photographed four moose this morning before work. Right. Sweet. (laughs) (laughs) So how long ago was that, if you don't mind me asking? That was 11, just over 11 years ago. Okay. And in that time, the last 11 years, you've you've done a book on the Great Greys. You've kicked off a pretty successful YouTube channel. And then you're now leading tours correct that's true on yep. top of that yeah 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 it's crazy how life changes <laughs> so are you doing it full-time now yep that's all i do now uh-huh. and um, i'm lucky to be able to to make it work you know it's a tough i think well every, i don't know that there's an easy way to make a living but um i'm sure for some people there are but uh you know, it's it's a unique thing that I'd never experienced. And in, in prior to my bar and restaurant gig, I, uh, um, I'm a mechanical engineer by education, and I worked as a professional engineer for over a decade as well. So, um, I, I know what it's like to have real jobs, and and I don't have a real job right now. That's for sure. <laughs> it's pretty great. <laughs> well, it makes you even appreciate it even more, right? Yep, for sure. Yeah, it's I don't it's it's been my full-time gig for three and a half years now, I guess. Okay. Yeah. And what was the tipping point for you because we have people ask all the time, how can I do this full-time? The... I wish I knew. Yeah. I still don't. <laughs> I still am like every day I'm like, "Oh god, it's going to all come crashing down. What what am I going to do?" You know? It does feel kind of surreal. So I definitely, I I wish I had it figured out to where I could give some good advice to people, but I just don't, I feel like I'm winging it just like, uh, you know, a a noob. Um, But, you know, it's, it's a, for me, the, the, the workshops are um, key in that I can do them from home. You know, I, I do do a couple of offsite. I travel. I do a Yellowstone winter workshop that got canceled this year, and a Africa workshop that also got canceled this year. But for the most part, it's private one-on-one workshops here in the Tetons, and so I'm that, I'm super grateful. And that that's a unique situation that most people, you know, if you live in uh, a, a magic place like this, you can pull that off. But not many places have year-round good nature photography. Um, opportunities like we do here. So it's pretty unique just being here that I can pull that off. Now, what about, so I was looking at the image behind you. It's a oh, yeah. black and white image of a giraffe. How often have you been to Africa or how many times? Just one. Oh, really? So yeah, that was my first trip happened last winter. Mm-hmm. Um, last February, we were there for three weeks and I co-led a workshop there with, uh, Sue Cedarholm and, uh, she's been, she'd been to Africa, I don't know, a couple dozen times. So she's super, super experienced there. Um, she has 
co-led workshops there for, I don't know, a decade or more, just really deep knowledge of the, and she's a local, um, here in Jackson. So, um, we got together gallery, doesn't she? She does. She works for Tom. Yep. And, um, so she's been doing those trips with him for a long time and, um, he's not doing them anymore. I, well, maybe I, I shouldn't say that. I think he, he wasn't last year or whatever, but, um, I don't know what his plans are, but at any rate, we got together to put, uh, put a trip together last year. And that was my first time there is she'd been there a bunch of times. So she handled all the logistical stuff and I got to, um, teach and make sure everybody was coming away with the images that that they were hoping to get. So it was incredible. Have you guys been? Not yet. It's on the short list. <laughs> but I think we all have a long short list. Yes. Yeah, yeah. It's <laughs> yeah. true. I mean, I, I was absolutely floored. You know, I live in a place where we have such great access to amazing wildlife. And I got to Africa and I was like, what is this? I mean, it, it was like the best day in the Tetons. You know, you spend 80% of your day looking for something good and then 20% of the time actually working on it. And, you know, I got to Africa and it was like the opposite. It was you find 20% of your times, you know, finding something good and then 80% of the time shooting. And so that was pretty different. And, you know, having different species and different behaviors and stuff was amazing. But the amount of photography you get to do there was kind of mind blowing to me for sure. Did you have some time? Obviously you were able to take some of your own images while you were there. Did you have enough time to do that while you were teaching as well? Oh yeah. 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 It, it just goes on and on and on. I mean, there's just so many photographic opportunities that are happening yeah. all the time. It's not yeah. like you, you're going to come across one good thing today. It's like you find one good thing, you help the people that you're with and then, Five minutes later, something else cool happens, and now they've got it figured out, and they don't need your help for this shot. Or you know, it's it's yeah. just different. You just yeah. get so many more opportunities there. Yeah, I'm, I I need to go for sure. <laughs> yeah, that's so. I I really want to go to some of the areas that most people don't go and get in the Ethiopian highlands. Um, you know, obviously would love to see the migration and experience that. But that's one thing that I was going to ask you is given the biodiversity of the valley or Jackson Hole area or greater Yellowstone ecosystem as a whole, what was it like going to Africa? Because it's you could drive a few miles and be in a totally different, totally different uh, set of animals, I, I would think. Oh yeah, it's incredible. Like there's uh, the Ngorongoro crater in Tanzania is like this amazing crater and don't quote me on the number here, but I think it's a, it's a crater that's about 10 miles in diameter. So um not very big. Mm -hmm. You know, that that's big, but it's not that big, but you've got uh I, I don't know how many prides, there's several prides of lions in there. There's thousands of prey animals everywhere. There's um there's leopards in there. There's, it's, it's like there's elephants. Everything that you think of from Africa is is running around in this ten mile diameter crater, 
and there's like a huge lake in there. And then there's like these deserty areas. There's like a creek that runs down to the lake. Um, there's like these kind of grasslands like you think of in Africa. It's there's like these rocky outcroppings. It's it's just in this 10 mile radius. Mm-hmm. And it's like, oh, my God, where what do you want to do next? Like you look across the crater with your you know, with your binoculars and you see lions chasing some zebras around and you go, wow, let's run over there, you know, and you drive over there and they're chasing. And then, I mean, it's, it's just, there's a, there's a rhino over there and there's lions behind us. And, you know, that was our big dilemma in the crater one day was that I'd never seen a rhinoceros before. And we had this rhinoceros in a beautiful setting. And then our other vehicle was like, Hey, we got a pride of lions hunting over here. And I was like, Hmm. Uh, rhino or hunting lions you know they're like that's only four minutes away we could be there in no time what do we do here (laughs) you know but that's the kind of you know dilemma you're in over there it's like you have to pick your battles which which one do you want more so what one well we did both because they're so close (laughs) so you know fired off a few frames of the rhino and then we went over and with the lions uh, and then the hunt petered out, and so then we zipped right back to the rhino and got some more images of the rhino. <laughs> but you know, how, how can you do that? It's crazy. What a good problem to have. Yeah. yeah. Right. <laughs> so on a trip like that, Steve, and you only being able to shoot part time because you're helping to educate the people that are going along with you, how many images did you still come back with? Well, I I stopped counting. I had a, a grand vision at the start of the trip to log all of my images just to find out how many I shot during the trip. And it got out of control in the first three days. We ran into, we went to Ambaselli and there were baby elephants everywhere. And I fell in love with baby elephants. And I'll bet I shot 10,000 images of baby elephants in the first two days. And I was like, forget it. I'm just, I'm giving up now. I'm not even counting anymore. Yeah. <laughs> I'm done. <laughs> I so I don't know. It was a lot. A lot trip like lot that, you might start looking through the archives a couple of years later and find shots that you didn't even know you had. No doubt. Yep. That's the beauty of that. So you're a, a Nikon shooter. And what system are you shooting now? Well. Within Nikon. Have you switched? Yeah. No, I haven't. Um I've been Nikon since, yeah, so as, as I mentioned, I bought a Nikon uh, DSLR, entry-level DSLR, and shot with that for a long time. Um, right now, I am shooting with a D850, a Z6 II, and a Z7 II. Um, and I want to be fully into mirrorless, um, but I'm not... I'm not finding that the Nikon mirrorless systems can do everything I want them to do at this point. Mm -hmm. So the D850 is still in the bag and uh, it's a wonderful camera. I mean, what is that thing like four and a half years old? Yes. And it's, it's still just um, makes amazing images. And I mean, I think you think back to four and a half years ago and that thing was such a groundbreaking camera uh, that it's still going strong and, you know, uh, it's, it's it's such a great camera, but uh, I'd love to get rid of it um, just because I, I like, you know, some of the advantages that mirrorless have. 
but um, the Nikon mirrorless just aren't there yet for me to where I'm comfortable ditching the D850 yet. So uh, I'm, I'm holding out hope for that mythical beast, the Nikon Z8 or Z9 or whatever it's going to turn out to be. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, do you guys want to talk about gear for a few minutes? Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah, we always <laughs> like talking about gear. So we both, we both shoot shot the the d850 still shoot it but i switched to the r5 well jason got one too we both did yeah i still hold on to my 850 it's my main go-to camera with my 500 millimeter and it's my favorite setup i just have not found anything that competes with it still and that's including the r5 with the one to 500 you know rf lens and i tried the sony a7r4 with the two to six for a while um, and I just really, really hope Nikon can pull it through because I, I'm a huge Nikon fan, but I'm a little worried right now. And then reading your, re- listening to your review on your YouTube channel, kind of, you know, confirmed some of my concerns that I've kind of been hearing and why I haven't purchased one at this point, but sorry, Ron. No, that's a, a <clears throat> spot on. Yeah. Well, I'm, uh... I, I finally, I, I hadn't tried an R5 yet, but I hear lots of people like you guys included um, talking about the R5. Um, you guys have talked extensively about it in the podcast. And um, it, before I put out this review on the Z7 II, I, uh, I felt like it would kind of be a disservice if I hadn't used one. Sure. Um, and, and to see what the competition is doing. And so I rented one and took it up to Yellowstone for a week here about two weeks ago. Um, and I was ready, I was ready to switch it. It really, there is something really special about that camera and, uh, the, the autofocus, I, I didn't find the image quality to be anything special. I mean, it's special, but I've been shooting with the D850 for four and a half years and I don't right. see that it's that special compared so to that. Tough to beat. Yeah. It does yeah. not, it doesn't compete with the 850 stills. I'm just confined. I'm, I'm the same way. Yeah. yeah, but there is no doubt. I, I rented the the R5 in that 100 to 500 millimeter zoom, and um, I have nothing but great things to say about both of those pieces of gear. They just they worked really really well. Um, they weren't perfect, you know. That autofocus system, the uh, the only real flaw I found is it really struggled in heavy snowfall, which most cameras do. Um, right. I, but I had kind of high hopes that once it locked onto that eye, which it, you know, it's so good at finding an animal's eye. I was like, maybe it'll lock onto that eye and that heavy snowfall won't mess it up. But I found that it really did still, um, kind of mess with it. But the day that I met you, that's what I was trying to find out just how tight that would lock on a subject and it didn't at all. And so I finally... Once I once I got sharp focus, I finally just shut the autofocus off and just videoed manual. Mm-hmm. But those heavy flakes definitely catch the the autofocus sensor and and throw it off. And so does a blade of grass, as far as that goes. Until you get it dialed in, you know, get your your settings locked down the way you want them. I had a a, a moose up near Teton School of Science and. One blade of grass kept throwing the focus off, so I'd get yeah. I, I hit about fifty percent because it was, the wind was blowing. 
So there are definitely yeah. some some negatives, but there are a lot of positives, especially if you're a hybrid shooter and you do video as well as as well as stills. And you've got to be now, right? If you're you're running your YouTube channel, let's talk about that for a minute. And I've seen you have some guest YouTubers that have pretty successful channels of their own, even uh, one guy out of Florida. Yeah, Mark Smith. Yeah, yeah, Mark came up and shot with you. Yeah, we were able to find a great gray owl for him that day, too. That was pretty amazing. Yeah. That was cool. Um, yeah, you know, hybrid shooting is uh, important to me, be, be really just because of the YouTube channel. Mm -hmm. Um I'm not like out there shooting and hoping to sell some footage to BBC or anything like that. So I don't have like, I don't care about 8K. I hardly care about 4K. Um, all my YouTube I publish in 1080. Um, it's nice sometimes to shoot it in 4K so I can crop in on it. Mm -hmm. uh, but, you know, my requirements for video aren't like I don't need the best stuff. I don't shoot N log. I don't do that stuff. But what I do need is a, a way to quickly just switch back and forth right. between video and stills. And I need a way to shoot through the viewfinder instead of, you know, cause I run and gun and I handhold a lot. So majority of my video footage, I'm shooting handheld and, you know, trying to shoot that off the back LCD screen handheld, forget it. Right. So I, I, I need mirrorless to be able to shoot through the viewfinder and handhold and, um, you know, both Nikon and that, that Canon R5 is super easy to just bang. You hit that button and you're recording. And mm -hmm. Nikon, you have to flip a little lever, but it's so quick and easy that that's, you know, an important thing that um, for me, I, I need that to be able to do that for my YouTube channel. Now, the the Z7 II, did that, the well, the 6 and the 7, do they have in-body stabilization as well as stabilization with the lenses or? Is it just your lens stabilization? No, they have the IBIS as well. Okay. Yeah. So they were great. Mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I can handhold it and get, you know, reasonably good footage, good, certainly good enough um, for what I use it for. And, uh, you know, I can track, you know, an elk walking across the field or whatever. It's no problem. So they were, they were great for that. The, the, the problem that I have with the, Z system right now is the inconsistency in the autofocus. Um, that's the big one. And there's a few little nitpicky kind of um, ergonomic things that they're not letting us do some button customization that I'd like to see. Um, but I could live without that. But the inconsistency in the autofocus is why I'm still holding on to that D850 because that thing's rock solid. So the D850 is very tough to part with. I just had a guy call me this week, actually, and I just yeah, I wanted to offer it up there, but I've got a trip coming up to the interior Yellowstone, and I kind of want both systems for that as well. So. Yeah. Yeah, I'm actually kind of sad right now. I went over out over the weekend to shoot some waterfowl, and yeah. Uh, <laughs> I might cry. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> I, uh, I, I had my uh, 850, my 500. It was in my bag, and I was on a four wheeler, and I got off the four wheeler to help my buddy with something. And as I was 
sitting there. The machine was running the bag and dumb me. It, it rolled off the seat and landed on the foot peg and then rolled onto the ground. So it wasn't really a very far fall, but it was enough that it busted the, the foot of the, the, the ring, right? The lens ring the hook it to the tripod it busted that down at the base so it was basically useless so it's it literally right now at the shop i just mailed it back today and uh i'm not i'm afraid i'm not going to have it back before yellowstone adventure but that's a that's tough this is the first time i've had to do anything with that lens or that body and it's really hurting me it's starting to be it's like ah man that's my that's my go-to. I'm, I feel naked without it. <laughs> so you've got the place right across town. You can buy a tripod collar. It's not the, yeah, no. On that 500, I don't think, I, I don't know how to replace it myself. Because it's not one that you can just screw apart and put back on. Oh, it's not just the foot. On the 500, or I don't know, the 600 is probably the same. Mm-hmm. It's not just the foot. It's the actual ring. I gotcha. So, anyways, I don't know how to replace it. Anyways, yeah. And I want them to check it. You're going to be a sandbagger. Uh, Yeah, basically, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Nice call. (laughs) But but your point, Ron, right? You had somebody offer you the money for your 850. And honestly, the longer we hold on to them, the less they're going to be worth if you are going to try to dump them and switch systems or whatever you decide to do. So, it is kind of a hard thing to do. But I don't, I do not have any plans of getting rid of my 850 anytime soon. And I'll be honest with you, whatever they replace it with, like because I do hear that there's uh, rumors of the 860 or whatever it's going to be, um, I will probably buy one of those just because I've had so much success with my 850, you know, and love it so much. Um, and then I might part with the 850, but we'll see. But, yeah. So, Steve, have you given that any thought? Sticking with DSLR or just jumping into the mirrorless? I'm I'm ready to go 100% mirrorless um, when the when it's ready. Um, I, for the last few years, I've been running around with a pair of D850s and a Z7. Mm-hmm. So, uh, I, I, I sold one of the D850s. So I'm down to one D850 and then a Z62 and a Z72. And, um, I'm, I think I'm done with, with DSLR. Uh, I just, the, the hybrid shooting is so important right. and, uh, for me, my, the things that I shoot, um, that's certainly not the case for everybody, but, uh, yeah, I'm ready to just go all in, but I'm not quite there, you know? And then now we got to throw like that R5, you know, after using it for a week in Yellowstone, I was like, geez, I should, I should get an R5, <laughs> that 100 to 500, maybe a 600 F4. And, <laughs> um, so I was like, Oh God, how can I make this work? Well, the, to be completely honest with you, what stopped me from doing that is that the Canon's zoom the opposite direction as the Nikon's. And when you spin that sucker the wrong direction and you miss a photo because of it, it's just maddening. <laughs> and uh, I finally, that was, that was enough. I mean, that's how, you know, when, when, th- when things are happening and you have a split second to make that shot. And that happens all the time out here. If you just move that zoom direction the wrong way, because that's the way you've done it for the last 10 years, you just missed the shot. And I was like, you know, that's, that's just as bad as having an inconsistent autofocus. Right. So I talked to myself out of it because I was just like, you know, I might be able, like 
if I wanted to do that, I would have to commit 100% to Canon and I would have to spend the next year retraining my brain. And uh, I'm not ready to do that yet. So for me, that was the big, a big consideration. And a lot of people maybe aren't as stuck in their ways as I am, that they can make that transition more seamlessly. But boy, I really struggled with that. And I just don't want that to be the cause of me missing photos out there. So, yeah. you know, um, Sony zooms the same direction as Nikon, right? Oh, boy. Yeah, did I, I just open a one. can of worms? You did. <laughs> you did because they've kind of stayed out front, too. <laughs> well, yeah, they just announced that new monster A1 beast, right? Yep. Mm -hmm. Yep. So that honestly has me a little more the – price, the price tag scares me, but um, the, the specifications and the zoom direction get me a little more excited. Um, we'll see when it comes out if it performs the way that they say it's going to because, yeah. man, they, they have some if lofty – If the focus is good as they're advertising or even half as good, to be honest, because it's supposed to be twice as fast as the A9 – which is super fast focusing camera and it tracks like perfectly. Yeah. So it, I don't know. I got to quit yeah. talking about it because. <laughs> you can... Because now that my biggest hurdle was the zoom direction on the R on the Canon system, I was like, nope, I can't do it because of the zoom direction. And now I'm like, well, Sony, they zoom the same direction. What's my excuse now? And, <laughs> you know, it's a $6,500 excuse plus a $13,000 600F4. Yeah. You know, uh, you know, replacing all my, and uh, the PF lenses, those Nikon, mm -hmm. the 300 PF and the 500 PF, they don't make anything like that. Mm -hmm. I love those lenses. They're so good for getting out and hiking. And, um, yeah, I've never, so. I've never had the opportunity to use the PF, but that was one thing that I was looking at. If I would have stayed with Nikon for sure. I would have picked up the 500 and I heard that they are actually the, or they've secured patents for a 700 PF. So whether or not that comes to fruition, that would be the perfect lens to go out and photograph grouse or, or owls or, you know, any, any birds. I think one of the best kept secrets in Jackson hole is the fact that you can, you know, if it's a bad day everywhere else, you can come back to the visitor center and there's about 20 species of birds right there behind the visitor center in the catwalks. And there's That's some true. really interesting ones, you know, common yellow throats, uh, cinnamon teal. To yeah, and we get, yeah, we get all kinds of stuff. We get otters back there in that pond. Oh, really? Trumpeter swans. Yeah, yeah. Can be really good back there. So. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know. I think the bottom line is that there's uh, cameras are such a personal thing, you know, mm -hmm. that like that R5 and that 100 to 500 lens is just wonderful and tack sharp and super versatile. The eye tracking, the animal eye tracking is amazing. But then a guy like me goes, no, I don't want it because it zooms backwards, you know? <laughs> yeah. And people are like, well, yeah. you're, you're a moron. That's, that's <laughs> a dumb excuse. But then I go, well, that's, I'm a moron then, but that's, that's what I need. I need it to zoom this way. Like, yeah. You've got to be able to count on muscle memory when you get out there and something good's happening. Yeah. yeah. Well, and it is hard. I mean, I've, I can attest I've been, I've shot three different systems in the last two years, 
you know, my my normal Nikon, which I've been shooting from the beginning, and then the Sony system, and then now the R5. And uh, it is it is not easy to switch back and forth. Matter of fact, there's a period when I switched to that handheld, the R5, that my handheld, it, it is, I have to think, you know, I have to think about those things that you just mentioned. And as a matter of fact, it's not set up exactly the same as my, my Nikon, so I still have to think about, you know, which back button am I pushing and what is it doing and all that stuff, so... Uh, there's definitely something to that, and I probably because of that I probably pay the price and miss some shots, you know. To your point, so. But yeah, it's a trade-off. It's hard. Yeah. yeah, it's hard. It seems like it should be real easy, but when when there's yeah. something amazing happening right in front of you and the blinders go on, yeah, it's like things just have to be second nature, or you're going to miss some. Yeah, agreed. <laughs> That's a fun thing, you know. A lot of people, and Mark would be one to say that. He's never had a desire to go to Grand Teton or Yellowstone just because of the number of people. But one of the fun things that that I find when I'm over that direction is that you can find people that you you don't get to see that often, get a chance to visit with them, and then when it's game on, everybody just kind of locks in and goes their separate ways and does their own thing and and you still have the opportunity to be creative and, and do what you want to do in those circumstances and with all of those opportunities. And then you can visit again. It's a, it's a unique place to photograph as well. Yeah, yeah, it, it is. There's a lot of, uh, a lot of different ways to photograph here. You know, there's, you know, you can get, go hiking to your heart's content. You can, just stay on the roads and find amazing things to photograph. Um, you know, you can work on landscapes all day, every day. You can work on wildlife all day, every day. It's like, and, and that's, that's why it's so amazing a uh, place to, to teach because, oh, sure. you know, I get to ask people like, what do you, what do you want to work on? And, you know, I can generally find, you know, if they say I want to photograph Craig Rayals, I have a really hard time. You know, I can't promise anybody anything like that. We find them on occasion, but, um, you know, if, if somebody's willing to have an open mind, we're going to find stuff to shoot. And it might not be the um, the great gray owl or the grizzly bear with cubs that they wanted, um, but it might be, you know, you just never know. Um, but yeah, just the diversity here is incredible. Absolutely. Now for you and being spoiled living there, what is the photo opportunity that you would like to have? What's on your short list, your bucket list? Well, the the mountain lions are super elusive. We have we have a good healthy population of them here, and I photographed them a handful of times, um, which has been incredible. Um, I'd love to have more opportunities with them, but you know, realistically, I've I've kind of had. I've had enough good experiences already that I shouldn't get greedy. Um, uh, honestly, my the thing that I'm missing great photos of that I'd love to get more of is wolves. Mm. And, you know, most of the good wolf photos you see are coming out of Yellowstone. And uh, in the Tetons, we have we have a population of them here, and you will see some good photos coming out of here for sure. Uh, but for whatever reason, my wolf magic hasn't ha hasn't really happened yet. 
Um, and I photographed them a bunch and I've made some decent images, but I just, I'd love to really get a deep, good portfolio of wolves. And, mm-hmm. um, I think I need to just, that would be one of those things where I would need to dedicate some time just to go to Yellowstone and just do wolves. Um, but, um, you know, that's, that's for, for the greater Yellowstone. I think that's the one thing that I, you know, so many people get really, really great wolf stuff. And for whatever reason, I just haven't had that, uh, line up for me. Um, I have some good stuff, but nothing that's like, wow, great, great stuff there. So that's on my list. I'm always looking out for better wolf stuff. Yeah. I don't think there's anybody that wouldn't, wouldn't want better wolf stuff. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. Well, and it's, it's definitely not an easy animal to photograph i've been i've spent a lot of time in yellowstone um with throughout multiple different seasons and over the last 10 years and i probably have had two really close good opportunities and i i don't think i capitalized on any of them you know with everything that was going on it's just the way it is you know it's they're not an easy animal to photograph for sure i mean but something and then sometimes you see the people that Oh yeah, the whole pack came right down by the road, and they sat there and they played, and they were fifty yards away, and not, you know, and it's like, <laughs> yeah, I've never, I've never happened, had that kind of luck. But. That happened here about two or three weeks ago. I was out of town, and uh, all of a sudden, my phone started blowing up. People were like, "You got to get up here to the wolves. They're right, you know." Like, I mean, people were getting full frame headshots of this black wolf with his yellow eyes right. and in the snow, and it was That's just like, yeah. And I was like, you. um. I'm not in town right now. I'm an idiot, but uh, have a great time. <laughs> yeah. So it happens. I just, you, you, you know, timing's got to be right. Mm-hmm. Yep. Exactly. Yep. So what about your workshops? What all do you offer? Well, the, the, the general setup for my work, I offer two different workshops and they're, they're both private. So I take one or two people max. So, like a husband and wife or a couple of friends, um, people that know each other. And, uh, it's, it's a private year round, you know, with some exceptions, if I'm in Africa or if I'm on vacation or whatever, I don't do them, but, um, I'll do them year round because there's always some different opportunities here. And, uh, I, I talk to the participants who are coming and I try and get an idea of what they want to photograph and what they want to work on and what their skill level is. And, it's uh, it's really fun because everybody's so different in what they enjoy photographing and what their experience levels are. And uh, so I get everything from complete beginners who have a, you know, a kit camera and a kit lens to pros who are every bit as skilled as I am. Uh, and I'm comfortable teaching everybody and and i'm comfortable learning from everybody too um but it sometimes it's just as simple as like uh, somebody who's a really skilled photographer doesn't know the area doesn't know the the wildlife that we're going to be photographing so they want you know more of a a tour and then some insight into the biology uh, of the animals to help them understand how to photograph them and what some of their behaviors are so that they can anticipate you know, good opportunities and stuff like that all the way to somebody who wants to get their camera out of automatic mode. And, you know, basically like, 
I love taking pictures. I shoot in automatic mode and I want to get out of it. And I have no idea what that even means. And then they'll show up and I, you know, I help them, you know, navigate whatever level they're, they're at. And it's, it's really fun. Um, I get people that like had never seen a wild bear before and they start crying when they see their first wild bear and stuff. Uh, and you know, I have people that have a lot of people who've traveled the world and done so many different workshops all over the world. And, um, it's just, uh, different people. You know, I, I've got amazing feedback from some of those people who have done all these workshops and they get, uh, excited about learning something new, you know, they've been like, I've done 10 workshops and no, I've never learned that before. That's amazing. And so it, I kind of take it as a challenge, like find, find something that I can give to these people besides just showing them around this cool place. Um, and you know, it's all of us are, are still, we're all learning. And, uh, you know, I pick up stuff from my clients all the time and then I can help pass that along to my next people and, um, get to meet a lot of, a lot of cool people who are, you know, have similar interests and enjoy being out there and want to make nice photos and enjoy, enjoy the area. But we do, um, I do a five hour morning workshop and then I do a eight hour split day workshop. So we go out for four hours at sunrise and then we take a midday break and then we go back out for four hours in the evening. So we get kind of the both, both of the best times of the day in that eight hour workshop. Um, but I get, you know, some people that just like, I had a guy, Oma, he was here. That was his name. Oma, hell of a great guy, but he came out, uh, a week or two ago, mm-hmm. whatever he's, he's, he only shoots landscape. And all he wanted to do was, uh, work on some minimalist landscape stuff. And he'd seen in my feed, you know, I do wildlife, but I love doing landscape and I love, you know, doing artsy fartsy creative stuff. And he saw some of my minimalist landscape work and he's like, man, I want to go do some of that stuff with you out in the field. And so we didn't look for wildlife at all. All we looked for was like simple minimalist landscapes, which is, you know, wintertime snows covering all the sagebrush, you know, and, and you look for those opportunities where you can find, you know, really simple, minimal, clean compositions. Mm-hmm. And uh, we just, we had a blast and made some excellent images. And that's the kind of specificity that you can get whether you're with me or with a different like private just you and one other photographer you know if you can get that specific and say this is this is all i want to work on today let's let's do that and uh, we can go out there and have a blast so uh it it works really well you know just to be able to give people the exactly what they want and uh not have any other stuff in the way no other people saying oh but i want to go look for that big bull elk that's been hanging around over there or Mm. you know there's just no conflicting ideas of what people want to do if there's a group you know and that 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 can be a problem yeah that probably saves you a lot of trouble yeah i was just gonna say i was gonna ask you the question of why you prefer to just do the individual you know one-on-one or two-on-one and not that that answered it (laughs) <laughs> yeah yeah and it, i think it's just so hard because i do do uh group workshops the yellowstone in africa and while they're, they're awesome the participants definitely don't get as you know individualist instruction just by its very nature i can't i only have so much 
you know, mental capacity myself that I can, I have a hard time keeping up with all those people and what, what all they're doing and trying to make sure every single one of them is getting the photos they want. But when I'm there with one or two people, you know, you can really dial it in and give them exactly what they want and make sure they're getting like, see if they're really getting it and help them till they can figure it out. So it works really well. That's fantastic. I, we've been going about an hour. I don't want to get out of here without telling people where they can find you and where they get information about your workshops and uh, your YouTube channel, all those kinds of things. We want to steer people your direction. Yeah. Cool. Thank you. I'd I'd appreciate that. Um, The, the kind of the home base for my, all my stuff is my website and that's at stevemathis.com. Mathis is spelled a little funny. So it's Steve S T E V E and then M A T T H E I S.com. Uh, and that's, uh, you can get information. You can see some of my images there, get information about workshops and, uh, stuff like that. And then YouTube is kind of the, um, that's the way most people find me, to be honest. Um, I've got, uh, almost 20,000 subscribers now, which is a huge milestone. That's kind of shocking that that ever happened. <laughs> <laughs> well, it's taking some effort, but yeah, you've been at it. Yeah, I've been at it. And I started and I had no ambitions. I just wanted to get comfortable in front of the camera because I I had a couple of opportunities to do some interviews about some photography related things. And I was so scared of being in front of the camera that I I said no a few times Mm -hmm. just because I was scared. I was like, I'm afraid to be in front of the camera. And so I decided that was dumb and that I needed to get comfortable in front of the camera. And so I started uh, filming myself on these ridiculous kind of vlog style, um, just to try and get comfortable looking at a camera and talking. And, uh, then I was like, Oh man, maybe I'll just put out a video out there on YouTube. And then I did, and you know, like 20 people watched it and they're like, Hey, that's pretty good. Do another one. And, uh, so it totally just grew in a, uh, just a weird, you know, organic way. But, um, yeah, it's turning. It's it's awesome now. I mean, to, I, to have twenty thousand subscribers in the land of YouTube is nothing. But I think in the in the land in my world, it's like, my God, that's amazing. How did that happen? <laughs> it's significant. So, um, I mean, wildlife photography is such a niche audience, and that's what we find with the podcast. And so, uh, I think twenty thousand is a solid number because you're yeah. getting you're yeah. getting people who share a common interest and you know take interest in what you may be able to offer them at some point too, or even just through the, the YouTube clips. So that's, that is substantial for such a niche audience to have 20,000. And yeah, I mean, you're not short ever of opportunity. I can't (laughs) stress that enough. (laughs) Right. Right. (laughs) Yeah. Well, I hope so. I mean, it's, um, it, it feels substantial now. Even mm-hmm. though, you know, compared to YouTube world where people get 10 million subscribers and stuff, it's nothing. But it does, it feels substantial enough that like a guy like you would recognize me out in the field, mm-hmm. you know, and without that yeah. YouTube channel, you'd, you wouldn't have come up and said, Hey, Steve, I enjoy your channel. Let's, let's talk about this podcast. It's like, right. Oh yeah, that's cool. So mm-hmm. it's cool that those kind of things come from that, mm-hmm. which is awesome. And uh, the other cool thing is just being able to share. You know, like right. sharing images on in- Instagram is cool. 
um, you know, the image quality kind of sucks and, you know, most people are looking at them on their phone, but it's awesome just to be able to share what you're doing and your work and your photography or your videos or whatever you're doing. It's like so gratifying. Um, it's just nice to be able to share what, what you're working on. And that gives me an outlet that, uh, is, um, well, it's it, honestly, it's grown, it's grown to big enough to the point where I'll tell you a brief story. I, I had written, I wrote a little short story here a few months ago. I'm not a writer. Like I'm a photographer and I make videos, but I wrote this story and I was like, man, I should, I should send this out because it was kind of photography related, but I was afraid to do it. Cause I was like, this isn't in my wheelhouse. And, and then I was like, well, maybe I'll just send it out. But then I go, Oh God, but so many thousands of people are going to see this. And so it puts extra pressure on. So I consider, I was like, no, nah, I'm not going to send it out there because now it's not like I'm just sending it to 20 friends or to 50 people that know me that are going to go, Oh, I, I really enjoyed your short story. Um, now the stakes are a little higher now. <laughs> and that's kind of a weird thing that I actually, I didn't put it out until earlier this week. I finally sent it out there and I, I put this short story out there and a lot of people gave me really good feedback about it, which was great. But that that's kind of a weird double-edged sword that like now things are getting big enough now that I was worried about how people were going to react to this short story. <laughs> because I'm not a writer, you know? And, uh, but anyway, it was great that I, uh, some friends talked me into, um, actually releasing that short story and people liked it. And, and it was a lesson learned. Like, so what if thousands of people are going to see it? If they like it, great. They'll send you a nice message. If they don't, they're not going to say anything. Or if, if they do, they're screw them. Yeah. You know, <laughs> But there is a time where I, I kind of was starting to take things a little seriously, like, oh, I can't do that because, you know, so many, too many people are going to see it and it might not go over well. Well, you know, that's uh, what I learned was that that's kind of dumb. Like, so what if a bunch of people are going to see it just because more people see it? If they like it, great. If they don't, they, they already like your photography and your videos. So get over yeah. it. Mm -hmm. <laughs> But uh, yeah, that was uh, that's kind of a weird thing that's happening with that YouTube channel is that it's getting big enough now that, you know, people flag me down when I'm driving down the road or, you know, I'll be taking a picture of a grizzly bear and somebody will walk up and tap on the on the car window or something at a bear jam. <laughs> be like, hey, are you Steve Mathis? <laughs> I'm like, yeah, yeah, hold that thought. You know, the bear or whatever. <laughs> so it's it's uh, some interesting stuff going on out there. Yeah, I waited for you to be having lunch at least. <laughs> see you're very thoughtful i appreciate that <laughs> no well, steve we greatly appreciate your time thanks for coming on and i'd love to do another one of these in the field someday when we're all over that direction and and we have a little break in the activity so maybe we'll have to have to do that if the opportunity arises yeah that'd be fun and it might be fun to get out and shoot with you and get you on the uh on the youtube camera as well so. oh that'd be fun oh, boy. yeah yeah i'm a little bit like your buddy that came and visited though i don't i'm not sure i'm really fond of being in front of the camera <laughs> <laughs> well he adapted really quickly and i think you would too <laughs> that's funny i did see that he it didn't take him long to just go with it that was awesome <laughs> <laughs> yeah uh well it's really nice to meet you steve we appreciate your time man this has been it's been fun conversation 
Yeah. Thank you guys. And I uh, appreciate the, the podcast too. Um, I've been listening um, to a bunch of episodes since we, since we met and got caught up on things and you're doing a great job and it's, it's awesome to have, you know, like stuff like this to, we're, we spend a lot of time driving, you know, back and forth to locations right. and stuff. So having podcasts like this to, uh, to listen to and, to you know, hear what other people are doing and other people's experiences and, you know, just talking photography is an awesome way to, to spend some of that time while we're on the road. So, um, much appreciation to you guys as well. Yeah, thank you. You bet. Thank you for, for giving us your time and until next time. Yeah. Spring's coming quick. Sorry. Spring's coming quick. We're going to do one in the field. <laughs> it is, yeah. It's coming on Tuesday. It's supposed to be 50 and raining. <laughs> Uh, Ron's done with winter in February. I can't believe it. It's crazy. All right. Sorry, Ron. <laughs> I was trying to pull a Mark Raycroft and do the until next time you've been listening to Wild and Exposed. We got our windows down, driving down the 405, sing along to the radio. Gonna make it someday. Nothing's gonna get in our way. We will be the biggest band in town. Mm -mm. Round and round the world we'll go.